Our gospel reading is from the book of John, chapter 4. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and we, he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. How many of you, when you were a child, I know some of you here are still our children, some of you was a few years ago, but when you were a child, you could pretty much expect a certain reaction when you did something wrong. Like if you used foul language or spoke in a very ill-mannered way, you could expect minutes from then to be biting down on a bar of soap. Or, or maybe, maybe it was if you hit or kicked a sibling, you could expect to have a timeout or to be sent to your room. 
Or maybe especially for our youth today, for them, they can expect they do something wrong to lose some time on their devices, whether it be an iPhone or an iPad. Many times we can pretty much expect a certain reaction, a certain uh, consequence even from some of our actions. But today as we look at God's word for us, as we just heard from John chapter 4, the reaction that this woman receives from Jesus is not at all what she expected. Instead, it's radically different, and it changes her life. And so let's go back into that. I know we just heard it, but really dig deeper into the story. It says that Jesus, Jesus left Judea, and he departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, right there, something stands out. It doesn't quite sit right if you know the context and the situation at that time. The fact that Jesus, a Jew, is passing through Samaria. That many would have thought that he should have gone a different way. But as it says right there, he had to pass through that way. Actually, some translators, they take the Greek to instead say it was necessary to pass through Samaria. Now, whether it be because of some travel reason or geographical reason, or whether it be the fact that it was necessary for him to interact with this woman, to have this conversation with this woman, all of it points to the fact that something is going on here. Something stands out. Something different is happening here. And so we go on and go further to the story. And Jesus, he gets to the well, to the town of Sychar in Samaria. And he gets to this well, to Jacob's well. Wearied from his journey, he wants a drink. So he asks this woman for a drink. And again, many things stand out here. One, there's the fact that he's speaking to a woman. That in that day, in that context, it would have been odd for him, a man from another place, to be speaking to this woman. Add to that the fact that she's a Samaritan woman. As it says right here in our passage, at that time, the Jews, they had no dealings with Samaritans. And then add to that the fact that he's not only talking with her, he's asking her for something. He's asking her for a drink, that she give him, of all people, a drink. And so again, these details, they stand out. They're showing us that something is going on here. Something different is happening. Something to be noticed. And so Jesus is talking with this woman. And this woman had sin in her life. She knew it, and Jesus knew it. Now, if he wasn't God, he actually shouldn't have known it, because he wasn't from that town. Now, that woman was from a small town, and so likely everybody else in that town actually knew her business, because if you're from a small town, you know that everybody knows everybody's business. So likely everybody else knew her business, but he shouldn't have known. He wasn't from that small town. And then add to that the fact that he didn't necessarily see her right then and there in the moment in her sin. What I mean is very literally, right, standing right before him, he couldn't necessarily see her sin. It wasn't as if she was a thief who caught red-handed was holding the stolen goods. Nor was it as if she was a liar caught right in the moment in the midst of a big, long lie because he's the one who knows the truths that poke a hole in her lie. Now, in the moment, her sin was essentially hidden. There's no way that he would necessarily know. It's what I often refer to as a hideable sin, that at times it's able to be hidden. See, everyone in this world, everyone has sin. And some people's sin is right there in front of you. It's pretty easy to see. It's easy for everybody to see. But many other people, their sins are much more capable of being hidden. And I would also venture to guess, especially here on the north side of Indianapolis, in our communities, 
It's much easier for people to hide their sins in gated communities or in just homes with closed doors. It's a lot easier to hide one's own sin. So he shouldn't have known. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew that she had sin in her life. He says, go get your husband. And she says, I can't. I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five. And the one that you have right now is not your husband. Now, there's something that we really need to notice here. This is significant. And I think for many of us, myself included at times, it's almost a detail that we can gloss over because many of us, we've heard the scriptures before. You've been coming to church for a while. You know this Jesus, he's gone. So we're like, of course he would know. But right then and there in that moment, she didn't. And so he is literally displaying to her right then and there that he's God. He is showing by his omniscience the fact that he knows everything. There's something more to him. He's not just some traveler. He's not just some guy. There's more to this man, Jesus. But she also didn't necessarily need him to tell her that she had sin in her life because she knew what she had done. She knew the way she had lived her life. She knew the state of her life. And in that context, again, in that small town, likely many people were very quick, very eager to tell her just how wrong she had been living. In the religious religious culture of the day, everyone would have made sure to tell her that she was sitting, she was going against the way of God. But then there's also the fact that even if she didn't label it as sin, she still likely deep down felt something felt that she wasn't satisfied with it, that she wasn't satisfied with the way that she had lived her life, that she wasn't proud of these things. And that right there is something that I would argue most, if not all people can relate to. That feeling deep down inside that you're not necessarily satisfied with the way things are going. They're not necessarily proud of the things that you've done at some point in your life the things that you don't want other people to know about. You hope that they don't learn about you because you're not proud of it. Again, whether you label it a sin or not, it's that feeling deep down inside that I'm not proud of this. And that feeling then often leads us to ask the question, what if, what if somebody finds out? What if somebody finds out what I've done? What if they know not only the thing or the things that I've done? What if they learn this about me? What if this is what they then associate with me? And it's a question that's ultimately driven by fear. Fear of maybe many different things, but fear of what will happen, ultimately the consequences. Maybe what will someone say? What harsh words will I hear? Fear of punishment. Fear of also losing something or losing someone but especially it's a question that's motivated by shame. That if they find out, they'll be disappointed in me. They'll think less of me. They'll look down upon me. And shame often, shame often drives people to do more of the same thing or more of other things that they wouldn't normally do. That shame can often drive people into a spiral of more sin. It's what often makes TV and movies interesting. I mean, think about it. You're watching a TV show or a movie and there's this spiral of sin. You can't wait to see what's going to happen next. How far will they go? Or maybe a news story. 
And so it makes it go viral or what makes people talk about it on Monday morning. But unfortunately, it's a concept that's not just limited to TV, movies, and news stories. But at times, it's ever too close to home in our own lives. But whether or not shame drives us to a spiral of more sin, shame is the consequence that we all experience because of our sin. And, and David, he writes about this in the Psalms, Psalm 32. God's word says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. He says, when I kept silent, meaning when I kept this to myself, when I conf didn't confess my sin, when I held on to my sin and I didn't give it away, my bones wasted away, groaning all the day long. The Lord's hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the summer. And you notice all of those are actually physical things, physical effects that can happen to our bodies because of the shame caused by sin. And that's what this woman was experiencing. Shame. She was in utter shame because of the things she had done and the way she had lived her life. But again, as I said in the beginning, the reaction she received from Jesus is not at all what she expected, but rather radically different. Because Jesus, he spoke to her. And he, did, he wasn't just speaking to her, but he engaged her in conversation. He engaged her in conversation despite the fact that culturally he shouldn't have, despite the expectations of everyone else in the community, despite his own disciples' expectations. He engaged her in conversation. He saw her. He saw her for who she was. Again, despite what she had done, he saw value in her. And he desired that she would know him. And then he and his omniscience he spoke to her in a way that showed care to her unlike anybody had ever shown to her before. You see, his omniscience, it wasn't just some party trick for him to do and have fun with and show, hey, look what I can do. Rather, his omniscience was a way for him to speak ever so directly to her and the matter at hand. Now, I don't know about you, but many people, they interpret direct speech as mean speech. Right? Someone who's speaking directly to me is being mean or unkind or rude. And that certainly can be the case. But it's not the case here. And in many other cases, it's not. Rather, actually speaking directly here and in other cases is to show more care for someone. That you're not going to avoid the issue. You're not going to excuse the issue. Rather, he has so much care for her that he wanted more for her. And he did have more for her. He had reconciliation for her. It's what he offered when he talked about the living water. The fact that it's a source of life that's not just for this body and this life, but a source of life for the life to come. A source of life for the life in which there's no more death, no more sorrow, no more guilt, no more shame. And he says this life that God has to give, the one who gives it is me. I am he, the one who speaks to you and the one who has it to give. The one who's standing right there in front of her saying, here, it's for you. And that's reconciliation. Putting her back in right relationship with her father in heaven. And that changed her life. 
change your life. She left her water jar and she ran back to, tell, ran back to town to tell the other people. I mean, okay, don't forget that detail. She left her water jar. The very thing she came there to do, to fill that water up, the thing she thought she needed most, she left it. And she ran back to town. She said, come see. Come see this man who told me all that I've ever done. Perhaps he's the Christ. Perhaps he's the Christ. Which is a pretty powerful thing if you think about it. She phrased it in a question, not just a statement, but a question. Because for one, who would have likely believed her? I mean, of all people, given her history, right? They're not going to believe her. Certainly not going to believe her about this matter. There's also the fact that she's essentially saying, hey, I admit it. I admit what I've done. I admit my history. And he told me all about it. And maybe, just maybe, this is the guy. This is the Christ, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. But then especially she says, come see. Go see for yourself. She invites them to see for themselves that he's the Christ. Let them see for themselves. Let them be told all that they've ever done too so that they too could know and receive what he has to offer. It changed her life. And I, I want to be careful though that it changed her life didn't mean that it made it all perfect. It's not like she went back to a white picket fence and roses going up the veranda, Okay. <laughs> Her life wasn't just all perfect. There were still likely effects of the brokenness that had happened in her life. But she was reconciled to her Father in heaven, put back right in right relationship with him, and she got to live that out more and more each and every day. So the words that she said to the townspeople, it's essentially God's word to you and to me today as well. Come see this man. Come see this man who's told me everything I've ever done and perhaps he's the Christ. Because he can. He can tell you everything you've ever done. Everything I've ever done. And yet he still stands before you saying, here, I have this for you. Or more so I should say, we still get to sit here before him today and come forward here in just a few minutes shortly to receive his very body and blood given and shed for you, to receive the living water, the life, the reconciliation that he has for you. It's life-changing. I'm not saying it makes it perfect, right? You're still going to go back, and there's still challenges. There's things that still might be affected by the sin that's happened in our lives. But we get to live out that reconciliation more and more each day because of what he's done for you. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.